0: Many of you got up this morning, walked outside and went, oh, yes. Just something about the cooler air, you know, had an effect on your mind, on your heart. And my hope is that when those kinds of things happen, uh, you are reminded you need that same sense for your soul. And maybe just singing that song was one of those moments where you just go, Okay, now I know this song. I know the truth. I just want to let it sort of blow into my soul like a cool wind. So, so grateful for you, Jesse, and the worship team this morning. Uh, today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. I'm going to read the first 15 verses. And for the next two weeks, I want to circle back to the Gospel of Luke. Most of you will remember that last spring we concluded a long series in Luke, but in order to sort of fit the series so we got to Luke at the right parts of Easter, I had to skip over some passages that at some point I thought I would come back to, and I'm coming back to two of those passages, Luke 16 today, Luke 17 next week. And these two passages happen to deal with two of the most challenging features of Christian discipleship, and those two features are finances and forgiveness. Now I, can, I can hear you already like, let's go back to Ruth. I mean, <laughs> we love Ruth. Why, why did we have to end? Um, but these are two things that are going to be challenging for you. They're both going to present a particular challenge. And so don't shoot the messenger, just, you know, we're reading God's words here. So let's stand and read Luke 16, chapter 1 through 15. Jesus, talking to his disciples, said, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. For you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have, decided, I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe the master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down and quickly write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it, falls, when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a little will be also dishonest with much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what, what is which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed Jesus. And he he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. And What a strange story, huh? Most Bible scholars agree this is the most perplexing story or parable that Jesus ever gave. And so I want to try to tackle this per- perplexing story in this way. First, I want us to just kind of review the story. That's 1 through 8. And then Jesus gives the point of the story. That's 8 and 9. And that's, that's the main thrust of what I want to say there. Let's just understand the story, make some observations. And then Jesus says, here's what I want you to learn from the story. So there's no confusion there. And then afterwards, he, it feels like trying to anticipate something, he gives a couple of clarifying remarks. you Have ever said something and then say, before we, you respond, let me say a couple of things, because there's some anticipation uh, that some people are going to say some things. And he gives two clarifying remarks in verses 10 through 13, and then he does get pushback in verse 14 and 15. So we're just going to kind of run through the story in that way. First, the story. You first notice that just in verse one. Of of, of verse uh, of chapter sixteen, he also said to the disciples. So this is Jesus. Circle. There's still people around, but he's he's targeting a bit of a different audience. He's now in his small group. If you look back at chapter fifteen. Verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. So he's, first of all, sort of in this open air, you know, evangelism teaching thing. And he's just saying, hey, everybody can benefit from this. And then he kind of brings his small group in. The disciples saying hey, I want you to know this particularly. So if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus today, if you're a disciple, then this is particularly targeted to you, to me. The story itself is pretty straightforward. A rich man hired a financial manager. not Unlike today, you get a certain level of assets and then you need some help. You need a fund manager, you need a stock broker, you need somebody who's looking out for what you're putting into a bank account. And so this rich man has a financial manager. And the word manager here in the Greek is the same word that we would have as a steward. It's not usually a word that we think of, but probably the best picture is like a steward. If you take a cruise, you have a steward, and the steward takes your luggage and puts it where you're going to be. So, so the manager is a steward. He's taking somebody else's luggage, and he's just going to put it wherever the, the person wants it to go to. He's not going to take the luggage home. He's going to take the luggage to the room or to wherever the manager wants the luggage to be dropped off. But somewhere along the way, uh, there's a, we discover a problem with the steward. He stopped thinking himself himself as a manager and started thinking himself as an owner. He picked up the suitcases, and instead of seeing the manager's name on it, he kind of just saw his name on it. And and whatever he felt like doing with the luggage is what happened here. And his thinking got twisted. His focus moved away from the owner and towards himself. And it says in verse 1 that he wasted the possessions of the owner. This is the same word for the prodigal son in chapter 15. Remember that? The prodigal son takes the, the, uh, the, the money of his father that's really his father's, and the, the biggest slap in the face of the prodigal son is when the dad dies, the inheritance gets split between these two sons, and the son is saying, Dad, I want your money, not you, and can I just have it right now? So he takes the money. Remember, he goes into a far country and what does he do? He squanders in the ESV, it's the same word. He wastes. The word is it it, it takes wings. You ever had money that you just go, whatever happened to that money? I mean, I had it. It was I saw it in a bank account or in my wallet or purse, but somehow it took wings, it just flew away. And I can't give an account for all the stuff or the money that I've I've spent, it's taken wings and this, this manager ha, has squandered it and the owner finds out and he fires the manager, which is a good move by the owner. And apparently he tells the, the manager, hey, I'm going to give you some time to go back to the accounting books and give an account. So when you come to me, because I haven't been involved with it, you can tell me where all my money has gone. So he gives them like this two weeks notice. To go back and give an accounting. And what does the man do? Verse three. And the manager said to himself, Look, I know the money is gonna run out. He's taking it away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. So let's just make some observations. First of all, the crooked manager recognizes reality. He says to himself, and he says it out loud. There's going to be a day very soon the money's going to run out. I've, I've been fired. He's just is trying to say the truth to himself. There's going to be a day, whether it's today or tomorrow or in two weeks, that, that I'm going to be done with his money. So I'm just recognizing that. Secondly, he just admits to himself he's too weak to work and too proud to beg. And then in verse 4, sort of a light bulb comes on. Okay, I've decided what to do. This, the way of this thinking is Jesus is bringing the audience in. Okay, he's made some kind of scheme, some kind of decision. When I'm removed from the management, maybe, when the money's taken away, I need to do something so that people can receive me into their home. I need to help some people out right now in this little window so that when the money's gone, they're, they're still going to be around to give me some help. That's the idea here. And so he calls in clients one by one, and he cuts their bill, sometimes in half. Hey, you owe, a, and these are all large sums of money, you owe $100,000, make it 50000 Well, the, the client doesn't have any idea what's going on. He's like, well, absolutely. How would you like somebody to come in and say, can we just cut your bills in half today? Would that be okay with you? Would you ask a lot of questions? No, I'm good with that. I mean, where's the signature line, right? And so they sign away, and they're like, hey, they're so happy because they've saved themselves maybe years of debt. And he does this one by one. We don't know how many he does. They just list two. And the strange strategy, it ends up paying off. The manager can look into the future. This is the key part of the story. He can look into the future, and he can see that there's going to be a time when the money doesn't matter for him it's a few weeks it's going to run out it's going to fail and what's going to be left people so i better use my money right now my time right now to invest in people because the people are what's going to last and then we have this shocking end in verse 8 that the the master commends the dishonest manager I mean, somehow the, the news travels back to the master and, and they find out, he finds out, hey, the guy is cutting everybody's bill in half. And he says, wow. Now, he doesn't think it's awesome, right? He thinks it's shrewd. It's savvy. It's strategic. And it turns everybody around in the story. The disciples are just trying to figure out what is he talking about? And here's what one commentator says. It cannot mean that Jesus advocates dishonest business practices. The point is, and here's the key, the point is the man used the resources under his control to prepare for his own future. You hear that? He had certain resources under his control right now, which happened to be his master's, and he used them to prepare for his own future. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and said, I just wish you guys were more like that. So that's what's creating such confusion. The man was strategic enough. He was shrewd enough to look ahead. And he would say, the money's going to come to an end. But the only thing that's going to be left is people. So I'm going to invest in a way that people are going to celebrate with me once the money runs out. That's what Jesus is commending. So that's the story. Now here's the point of the story. Jesus says in verse 8 and 9, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. It's interesting. It's too much of a point to make right here. Just how Jesus looks at the world. It's these sort of side comments. A lot of times you skip over. When Jesus looks at the world, he sees two groups of people. Sons of the world, sons of light. There's not any other groups. You're either in and connected in relationship to the world or you're in and connected in relationship with Jesus, the light of the world. That's the only two camps Jesus sees people in. And he says to him, he says, I tell you, disciples, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, see, disciples, your money is going to come to an end as well. And when it does, I want to make sure you have friends that are going to receive you into their eternal dwellings. I tell you, be as smart as they are, Jesus says. Now, when he uses the word unrighteous wealth, which is, can be a little um, it can be misunderstood, he means worldly wealth. He doesn't mean corrupt wealth. Does that make sense? So he's just saying, your worldly wealth, you go out and work, you get paid, use that money. It's not corrupt wealth, it's just the money that you bring in from the world. Use your worldly wealth, however much God has entrusted you. Use it like a manager, not like an owner. Be shrewd, be savvy, have a strategy for the money, just like the manager does, because one day that money that God has given you, whether it's a little or a lot, it's going to run out, it's not going to matter. But what is going to matter is people, is relationships. So I just want to make a couple of observations here. You can make these as well. First of all, we need to remember that we are managers, not owners. We are managers. We are stewards. We are luggage carriers. Whatever time, whatever talent, whatever money you've been given, this is key. It's not yours. Now, mostly no one in America thinks that way, <laughs> including people in this room. I have a certain amount of time. I have a certain amount of talent that I've worked for. I went to school. Tra- I did a trade. I've, I've got that. I've got my name on titles to things. I'm an owner of a car or a house I have so much money coming in and it's because I'm working hard and it's all just centered around you. It doesn't sound strange at all for you to talk that way. But the way it happens what what the corruption is in your soul is that you think you're the owner. We're all fund managers of our time. We're all fund managers of our talent. We're all fund managers of our money for God. And one day, you and I will stand before him, and he'll say, hey, I gave you a certain amount of time, talent, and money. What'd you do with it? And you don't want to say, it, it flew away. I mean, I don't, I don't actually know what happened to it. It just kind of grew wings. I didn't, I didn't steward it well. I didn't take your luggage and put it in meaningful places. So you and I, this, you can't move past this point and, 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 and have a generous spirit until you get this one point. It's like the first step in the path. You can't skip over it. You and I are managers. We're not owners. David's prayer, 1 Chronicles 29, is a great prayer just to have highlighted in your Bible. He says this, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power. This is the king speaking to a greater king. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Splendor. Everything in heaven is yours. Yours is the kingdom. My house, meaning, is yours. You are exalted as head over all. And listen to this. Wealth and honor come from you. David saw himself as a luggage carrier. I have certain honor, I have certain talent, I have actually have a certain title called a king, and I have certain wealth, but I'm just carrying your luggage, Lord, and I want to use that in any way that you want me to. Wealth and honor come from God. One of the reasons it's important to see that is because if you misuse your time or your talent or your money, it's not a mistake It's theft. See, that's, it's, I want you to feel the difference in the weight of that. If I give $100,000 to a fund manager and he mistakenly uses it on himself and he comes to me and say, oh, I made a mistake. I bought a house. I bought a boat for myself. I'm not going to be that happy. I mean, I'm nice, but I'm not going to be that nice at that moment. Why? Because it's theft. He's robbed me. Malachi 3.8. Will a mere man rob God? Question mark. Yet you rob me, God says. You ask, well, how are we robbing you, God? In tithes and offerings. When you, when you don't have a generosity of spirit, and regardless of whether you think the 10% moves into the New Testament, it's another discussion, but you're not giving a portion back to the Lord first. Your tie, the thing that you really should say, I, God, you're, you're, how about this as a fund manager? I'm going to give you $100,000, and in the end, I just need $10,000 back. You keep ninety. Would you do that? Yes, everyone would do that. But see, with the Lord, somehow giving that 10% back feels like, whoa, whoa, whoa now I can't do that. And God says, when you're doing that, you're, you're, you're robbing me. It's a theft. You're not a manager. You're thinking like an owner that way. So if we call ourselves disciples, if we're sons of the light, daughters of the light, then we're going to walk in the light. And Jesus, again, he's circling up, not everybody out here, he's just circling up this group right here. Hey, I've given you a certain amount of money. You're a manager, not an owner. One day I'm going to call you and me to an account for all the dollars I gave you. If you make $25,000 a year for 40 years, then you're going to manage $1 million for the Lord. And almost all of us here are not going to be at $25,000. Think about that. I have a million dollars in my luggage that God's handing to me, and he's going to say, okay, I'm I'm going to be looking for that. What did you do for it? Where did you put it? How did you use it? Second observation is to think strategically. So don't just not just don't just shift your thinking from from manager to to owner or owner to manager but then sort of think strategically like the crooked manager did look into the future and ask yourself what's going to be valuable in eternity then then let's invest in that and what does the parable say is going to last through eternity money no what's going to last friends People, relationships. See, the crooked manager could see into the future and say, the money's going to run out, but the people aren't going to run out, so I'm going to invest in the people right now in a crooked way. And Jesus isn't asking us to do it in a crooked way. He's saying, just notice the shrewdness of this guy's work. He's investing in people because for all eternity we're going to be together. And you want to be have a lot of friends that can welcome you into your eternal dwelling. Look at uh, just look back with me at Luke fourteen verse twelve. Again, Jesus is telling a parable. When you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or relatives, because what's going to happen is you're going to invite them, and then they're going to feel guilty, and then they're going to say, "Well, you come over to my house next week." That happens, right? No, when when you're going to give this stuff away, your time, your money. Invite the poor, crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you right now. And here's the kicker. You will be repaid in the resurrection. You feel that? I'm investing it in somebody right now who's not going to be able to pay me back. But in the resurrection, there's going to be some source of repayment. It's not just you you come before the Lord, I get in and everything's great. There's more to that at the last day. There's an accounting in some sense. And and if you've invested in people, it's going to come back to you in a very unique way. Alistair Begg is a great pastor, and uh, he was talking about this. In his sermon, and he says, Sometimes we get ourselves tied in knots because we're so concerned to make sure that we all understand we do nothing to earn God's favor, that we can't put God in our debt. And Alistair Begg, and the only way he can say it, absolutely true. Yet the nothing we can do now is how we come to faith in Christ. But there is everything we must do now once we receive that faith. There's nothing you can do now to gain your salvation, but once you've gained it, there's everything you can do now. And part of that everything is how you use your wealth. I don't know if you remember sweet Sarah Messer. Sweet Sarah Messer, she sat on the very back row with her friend Annette, just like every good Baptist that comes to Christ's community. They all fill up the back. Sweet Sarah sat back there, very encouraging. She had breathing problems, so eventually she couldn't come to church, and she would call me in the middle of the week and give me encouragement about my sermon. And one day towards the end, I actually called her, and her caregiver answered and said that Sarah was asleep, but the caregiver wanted to thank me personally for my sermons. And I was like, well, thank you. I said, well, why particularly? Well when Sarah's restless, when she puts one of your sermons on, she falls right asleep. <laughs> and I think she meant it as a compliment, but it was a big slice of humble pie right at that moment for Pastor Paul. But Sarah was a teacher as a younger woman, and uh, she, just invest, she liked to invest in children. She, these were children she was never going to teach. Most, if not all of them, she was never going to meet. And so she would give regularly to the children's ministry at Christ Community. And then when she died, I found out that she had signed over a life insurance policy to the children's ministry at Christ Community. Isn't that great? Think about that luggage. Think about her taking that resource and saying, I'd like to put it for, to work for the Lord here. That's just so powerful. And, and Jesus, when he's talking, he's not saying you're just going to have treasures in heaven, which he does say at another point. No, he's specifically describing the treasure. He's describing it as friends, as relationships. Michael Wilcock, who wrote a commentary on this passage, said, although your wealth, talent, and time belong to this life only, although your wealth, talent, and time belong to this time only, what will happen to you then when you pass into the afterlife will depend on what you are doing with your wealth, talent, and time right now. You hear that? Make sure you use your money that brings you into a fellowship of friends which will survive death. That's such a great line. Make sure you're using your money that's going to bring you into a fellowship of friends that will survive your death one point of application just for us at christ community church in the next seven months you'll start hearing in increasing way our plan to build a building at the end of this hallway so it'll go perpendicular to the hallway the cost is a little over five million is what we think and so we're going to have a capital campaign probably in April and May, and then we'll break ground in August or so of next year, and then a year later, we'll move into that building. That's our hope. That's our plan. That's our strategy. And between now and then, I'm going to ask you to consider to give sacrificially, to take some luggage that's not being used somewhere in your portfolio and say, would you bring it over here for god's purposes and i can already tell you how i'm going to ask you to think i'm not going to ask you for a specific amount i'm just going to say just when you go home think as a manager just think as a, I'm, I'm managing i don't know how much you're managing you don't know how much i'm managing but just when you go home and you talk to the lord or you talk to your spouse and the lord just say hey we're managers what would god want us to do think strategically because we're not, we're not just investing in a building, we're investing in people. We're going to double the tutoring program. We're going to have more adult Sunday school rooms. We're going to have more children's ministry. We're going to have half a gym at the end of it so people can come and be a part of all, this bigger community. There's all kinds of ways the building's going to be used for us and the community. And we want to think strategically and we want to think relationally. Don't, don't give to bricks and more. Give to, to people some of whom you won't ever see. So you're not saying, oh, I, I can't wait to have a gym because I like to play basketball. I mean, think, think about the people you're never going to see. Think about Sarah. Life insurance policy paid out. We got the money. We have a tutoring program. We have children's ministry. And someday, some child is going to grow up and meet the Lord. Is going to come into heaven, and after they, he or she, meets Jesus, they're going to say, "Can you point me to Sarah Messer?" This is going to happen. Well, why, why Sarah Messer? Because she gave, and I know she doesn't know me. And I'd like to thank her because I met Jesus on a Sunday morning at, a, at Sunday school or in a vacation Bible school or in a tutoring program. And I want her, her to know the luggage that she put down for you, Lord, it paid off. And think about them for eternity being friends together. That is priceless. That is going to happen. So when you think, think about yourself as a manager, not an owner. Think about Think strategically and think relationally. That's the main point. That would be a great sermon, would it not? But Jesus didn't stop right there, and I want to just give his closing remarks because I think they help think about and shape the story. Number one, let's look at verse 10 and 11. So he he concludes his story, verse 9, and then he gives sort of two clarifying remarks. Now, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. If you're dishonest with a little, then you're dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who's going to entrust you with real wealth? If you haven't been faithful with somebody else's money, the Lord's money, how are you going to be faithful with anything that's really your own? And I think what Jesus is clarifying here, and it might be helpful for some of us to hear, is I think he has a sense of people hearing this and mumbling something like this. Well, I haven't been given very much to manage. I mean, if I just had more of God's resources, then I would be able to give more. But I just have $30,000 income, and I can't give $3,000 out of $30,000. But if I had more resources, like if I had $100,000 a year, then I could give $10,000 a year easy. What's the answer to that? Oh, no, no, no. You will not, if you are not faithful with a dime out of a dollar, you are not going to be faithful to give $10,000 out of $100,000. It's like a muscle. If I go to the gym and I haven't lifted weights at all and I say, I just like to bench press 500 pounds, that's, (laughs) you know what? Good knowing you, Paul. It's not going to happen because I, ha- I haven't lifted a little over time to build myself up to make a big lift. So some of us just today need to start exercising that muscle so when we get to April May, we've got, some, we've got some muscle. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, I've just never done anything like this. Second thing he says in verse 13 is you can't serve two masters. Now, this could be a whole sermon. But I think just what I want to point out here is that money desires, Jesus understands, money desires to be your master. And we'll see in the next verse, and your lover. Money itself is a neutral thing. But it exerts, Jesus understands, a certain kind of power, a certain kind of influence that's unlike a lot of other things. And the way it says is, I'd like to have a monogamous relationship with you. I don't want you to think about anything else. I'm like a lover. I don't want to ever be kicked out of bed. It has that kind of power over us. And again, he's talking to the disciples He's talking to people who've seen him walk on water. He's talking to people who've seen him heal him. He's talking to people who say they're sons and daughters of light. He's talking to people in the inner circle. This isn't people way out here that make tons of money and don't give it away. He's talking about this group. Be careful, this group. It has the power. It has the power to make you think you're an owner. It has the power to become your master. It has the power to become your lover. Finally, he gets pushback from a group of people who have apparently been listening in on Jesus' lesson, and they feel the need to respond, and not just respond to ridicule. But here's the sad part Did you notice who responded? Religious people. It wouldn't be at all surprising if it was just some secular business person, right? Give them away some money. I mean, just know that nobody's surprised by that. It's the people in, who think they're inside. It's the people who think they know about the Bible. It's the people who think they know about God. Those are the people who say, holy cow, there's no way I could possibly do that. And then what happens is when the service is over, they go find some friends who they know are going to agree with them. They're going to find some a group of people that also are religious people and say, I mean, can you believe that in this day and age and fl- inflation and what it is? You can give 10% away? That preacher's crazy. And they're going to find somebody and say, yeah, that, that preacher is crazy. That's what's happening. And Jesus, I don't know the tone here. But he looks at these people and says, hey, God knows your heart. And the way you think about God is 100% different than the way God thinks about God. The way you think about money is 100% different than the way God thinks about money. The way you're talking right now is completely different than the way God thinks. And one day, you're going to have to manage God's resources and give an account for them. Sure, you can find some friends right now who are going to agree with you. You'll make your case and they'll say, Oh, that sounds right, and it's crazy to give 10% of your money away. Who can possibly do it? You're gonna have you're gonna find people like that. Don't be that just don't be that person. Think I'm a manager. Not not again, not just of dollar bills, but my time, my talent. And I'm going to stand before God Almighty who is the owner. And he's going to say, Paul, I gave you a certain amount of skill. I gave you a certain amount of money. I gave you a certain amount of time. And it was mine. I'd like to have an accounting for it. So I just want to close by reading again the prayer of David to help orient our minds to the same idea. The wel- one of the wealthiest men on the planet says this, and let's pray this together. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our Father Israel forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above above all. Riches and honor come from you. You are rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is, it is, you are able to make great and give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.